You are listening to the Kensington Church Podcast, recorded live in Michigan. To learn more about Kensington, visit kensingtonchurch.org. Good morning, Kensington. How are you guys doing this morning? It is so good to see you all. Welcome to those of you who are joining us online. We're so glad that you are with us. Listen, Michigan, springtime is coming to you. How many of you guys hear, enjoy hearing the birds in the morning? Yeah. Let's give it up for the birds. Well, when you walked in today, you, you experienced sounds of outdoors, you experienced sounds of gardens, and you saw on the screen different images of gardens. We're starting a brand new weekend series called 12 Hours, where we're examining the last 12 hours of the life of Christ leading up to his crucifixion. And the story really begins, the last 12 hours really begins in the Garden of Gethsemane, where, where Jesus is there with his disciples and he's praying. We're gonna hear a little bit more about that later, but we're gonna begin today focusing on what happens in the Garden of Gethsemane. And to start our day, we wanna uh, sing a song that will probably be new to many of you, but it's a song that I believe you can jump into on the chorus. It's really, a chorus is really easy to sing. So this song just basically says, we want Jesus because of everything he's done, because of all that he has done for us. We want him to be center stage. We want him to receive all the glory. So if you will, would you stand up with me and we're gonna sing this together.
Good morning, everybody. You all can have a seat. If we have not met, my name is Andrew Kim, one of the leaders at the Troy campus. Want to welcome all of you here in the room. Thank you for that. Appreciate, always appreciate that. Um, but I want to welcome all of you, for those of you here in the room, and for those of you who are watching via stream, wherever you are, grateful for you and grateful that we can be together today. And today we're kicking off a brand new series called 12 Hours. And this series is going to take us all the way through Easter and in looking at what Jesus did for us on the cross. And because of what he did, because he died for all of humanity, that is why we can sing those words. To him be all the glory. To him be all the honor. And so in a little bit, I'm going to tell us a little bit more about where we're headed in the day and in this series. But before we actually get to that, I also want to let you know about two very important events that are right around the corner. And the first is happening this coming Tuesday, and it's a faith and family event. And if, you, we have, if any of us have children, we have probably had a conversation or we will be having a conversation with them about technology and the internet because there is so much to navigate from cyberbullying to inappropriate content to predators, the list goes on and on and on. And so this coming Tuesday, we're gonna be joined by a forensic investigator who's in charge of investigating internet crimes against children. And he has a pretty lengthy title, but ultimately he's an expert in this area. And so he's going to come, he's going to join us and really give us parents tools as to how we can not only protect our children, but to help them navigate this online world. And so if any of you would like more information about this, if you would like to register, go to our website or go to our app as well. But in addition to that, on April 2nd, we're also going to be having an event for blended families. And we're going to be hosting a video cast where there are going to be several experts who are going to be joining us and really unpacking strategies that are crucial to creating a healthy blended family. And so if you are a part of a blended family or you know someone who is, we'd love for you to be a part of that. And again, for more information to register, all you have to do is go to our website or you can go to our app as well. And for the past three weeks, we've also been in a series, we were in a series called The Generous Way. And as a part of that series, we issued something called a generosity challenge that we were all introduced to. And it was really an invitation for us as a community to take another step in regards to this area of generosity with our finances. And so if you already jumped in, thank you so much for being a part of it. If you would like to do so, it is not too late. And we had pamphlets that the ushers actually have or if you would like more information about this, or if you'd like to jump in, you can go to our website, kensingtonchurch.org forward slash challenge, or you can go to the app as well. Because really, one of the things that I have experienced is truly that when we choose to live like this in the area of our finances, the joy, the contentment, the freedom that we're able to experience truly is extraordinary. And so today, as I mentioned, we're in the very first week of our series, 12 Hours. And in this series, we're going to be looking at the final 12 hours of Jesus's life as he went to the cross. And today, we're going to be starting in the Garden of Gethsemane. And in this garden, Jesus was arrested and something very pivotal happened. And so as we begin our journey today, we're going to hear a song that was written by our very own music director, Michael King, and really speaks to what happened in the garden that night. So let's take this song in together. Blessed Lamb for us was slain. He bore our sins alone. At Gethsemane, He needs to pray. Father, take this cup. 
in verdant garden fragrance, the tender leaves, the stalwart trunks rooted and still, the young dive, fruit swelling with sustenance, a garden pulsing with life, yet death cast its shadow there. The earthly soil, once wet with morning dew, now soaked with the tears of his divine sorrow. His steps falter as he drops to his knees, face down, body gripped with anguish, and the ominous ordeal looms ahead. Drops of blood slip from his brow, mingling with tears and sweat. A river of grief flowing steadily down, cries and tears are his prayer. The Son of Man, spotless and pure, absorbing the full darkness of humanity. Every sin of the world laid up on the back of the innocent lamb, precious, holy, gentle, and good. And in that moment, the perfect one accepts the penalty for every trace of wickedness. See, taking our place, Jesus is served in righteousness, upheld, mercy extended, grace is given to all who believe that Jesus is Lord. Rutting and dreading, enduring the cross for the joy set before him, we were that joy. The battle has begun. Right here in the garden of Gethsemane, the word speaks, not my will, but yours be done. The heaviness lifts as he arises in the sovereign strength of heaven's redemption song. A rustle of feet and hushed voices call. His captors rush in and the time has come. Yet he walks out in might, son of God and son of man, for the battle on his knees is won. The king who would set us free from sin walks out of the garden of Gethsemane on a path toward pain and, and scorn and death. A captive of man, and a victor for all. All for the glory of the Lord, lifting up his hands and would be torn. A lot of the world giving all to make us whole. This song speaks so beautifully to what we're going to be talking about today. And it speaks perfectly to what happened in the garden that night, this garden called Gethsemane almost 2,000 years ago. 
And this was a place that Jesus and his disciples were very familiar with because we're told in the Gospel of John that they frequently had come here to pray. But this night would be different because on this night, Jesus would experience something so intense as we're told in the Gospel of Luke that as he was praying, he would be sweating drops of blood, which is a condition known as hematidrosis. And it's where somebody is under such extreme stress that their capillaries, they expand and they explode and then blood begins to come out of their sweat glands. And the reason Jesus experienced this wasn't because he was afraid of this physical suffering that he was about to endure, but rather it was something different. That as he looked towards his future, he knew that when he hung on the cross with all of humanity's sins on him, for the very first time in eternity, he would be separated from his father that he would experience hell because the essence of hell is separation from God. And it was soon after this that Jesus was arrested and then taken away to be tortured, crucified, and killed. And Jesus' response to these events in the final 12 hours of his life, they showed us, they revealed to us that not only was he a different kind of king, but he had come to establish a different kind of kingdom which is what we're gonna be talking about starting in this series this week. And that takes us all the way to Easter. So would you join me in prayer? So Lord, we are grateful. We are grateful, God, that we can begin this journey, Lord, that starts in the garden today. And we thank you for your sacrifice to us, your sacrifice, Lord, so that we could ultimately have life. And so as we look at what unfolded in the garden and what you experienced, Lord, we pray that as your people, that you would speak to us by your Holy Spirit. Show us, Lord, how we can move closer to you and ultimately live the lives that you've created us to live. And so we thank you and we pray these things in your name. Amen. Hey, so welcome again, everybody. And just, I would just want to give you a quick heads up, and probably for those of us here in the room, we already know this because when we walked in, we should have received a communion cup, and most of us should have. And if you did not, feel free to put up your hand right now, and the ushers will come forward. If you guys can come, wow, a lot of people didn't. And so if you guys just want to come forward, ushers, and everyone, if you could just leave your hand up, you will receive one of those communion cups. And for those of you who are watching via stream, and we are going to be taking communion at the end of the message, and so feel free at some point, go into your kitchen, grab, uh, you can grab a piece of bread, tortilla trip, whatever you have, some juice as well or water, and we'd love for you to take part in this as well. And so when I look back on this week, like it seems like every week in our world, there is so much that happened. Of course, there's the ongoing war in Ukraine, which seems to get worse and worse by the day. In our country, March Madness began. And of course, yesterday, Michigan won. Go blue for anyone who's a fan. Yes, thank you. And so I could say go green as well, but they haven't won yet, right? Well, we shall see. But something else that really struck me this past week, I learned about earlier in the week, and it actually happened a week and a half ago in New York. And maybe some of you have heard about this. And it was where a 67-year-old Asian woman was attacked in a hate crime. And this woman was walking on the street and she was walking towards an apartment building and she passed by a man on the street who called her a racist, misogynistic slur, which she ignored. And she kept on walking and she entered into the apartment building and this guy followed very, very closely behind her and he struck her in the back, knocking her down. And then he proceeded to punch her in the head and in the face more than 125 times. 67-year-old Asian woman, that's the age of my mom, very, very close to it. And her attacker was 42 years old, my age. And imagine being pummeled like that when you are 67 years old. And not only did he do that, but then he chose to stomp on her seven times and he spat on her and then he walked away. And the reason why we know all these details was the attack was caught on security camera. And the thing is, is that this attack happened almost a year after the shootings in Atlanta where eight people were killed, six of them being Asian women. And from the start of the pandemic, so March of 2020, up until the end of 2021, there have been almost 11,000 hate incidents reported against the Asian American Pacific Islander community. And that number is considered to be low. And when you actually break that down, that's almost 17 incidents every single day. 
And it's not just Asian Americans, because data that was recently published by the Center for the Study of Hate and Extremism, what they found was, was that still black Americans, which means our black brothers and sisters, are still the most targeted group in most cities in this country. And so the question that we have to ask is, why? Why are people of color in this country forced to live in fear like this? Why? Why does this have to happen? And if you read anything about this 67-year-old woman and the attack, you probably read that the next day, there was a store in New York giving out pepper spray, and the line to receive pepper spray was blocks and blocks long. Hundreds and hundreds of people, mostly Asian women. And this is sort of, uh, somebody actually took pictures of this, a video of this. This is the line. It goes on and on and on. And all of these people, what they're in line for is to get pepper spray because they are scared out of their minds that what happened to this woman could happen to them. And they feel like they have to arm themselves. So why? Why are people of color in this country victims of these extraordinary injustices? And it's largely because of this, the color of their skin. And because it's different and because to some people in this country of what that difference represents. And when we look back at human history, difference hasn't always been accepted. And it may be somebody who looks different. It could be somebody who thinks differently, someone who has different values and beliefs, a different way of life, a different way of envisioning the future. Different is often rejected. It's ridiculed, attacked, and sometimes even killed. Think people like Nelson Mandela, Malala Yousafzai, or Martin Luther King Jr. And Jesus was different. Because Jesus was a different kind of king and he came announcing a different kind of kingdom. And Jesus' kingdom wasn't political and it wasn't geographical. And his kingdom wasn't about trying to gain more money or land or power through the use of force and violence. It wasn't any of that. And as a result, it was a different kind of kingdom unlike any other kingdom this world had ever seen. And ultimately what happened was that Jesus's kingdom, it clashed and it collided with the kingdoms of this world and he was taken away and he was killed. And that's basically what happened to Jesus. And in the final 12 hours of Jesus's life, what he showed us was that he demonstrated the way of his new kingdom through his words, through his silence, through his submission and ultimately through his love. And in this series that we're starting today called 12 Hours, as I mentioned, it's going to take us all the way through Easter because it's at the cross that we're able to get the full meaning and implications of what his kingdom was truly all about. A kingdom that was inaugurated when he first came and ultimately consummated and will be consummated when he returns again. And in this series, Something that I want to let you all know about, in every week of this series, there are going to be two images for us to keep in mind. And one image will be representative of the kingdom of this world, and the other image will represent the kingdom of God. And today, we're going to be talking about that Jesus, he possessed a different kind of power, which was a defining characteristic of his kingdom. And Jesus' kingdom today is going to be symbolized by this rope. And I'll tell you more about the significance of this rope later on. And that's in contrast to the sword which represents the kingdom of the world. And these are the two images that I want us to focus on and remember today. But something else that I want to let you all know about is a, is a fantastic resource that we created here at Kensington to help us to move deeper into these 12 hours of Jesus's life. And it's a devotional called 30 Days with Jesus. And Craig Mays, who's one of our teachers over at our Clinton Township campus and also the lead teacher on this series in partnership with our discipleship directors, all of them, they together created this resource. And if you look inside of it, there are scripture readings for us to read every single day. There are thoughts and questions and also a place for us to write down any thoughts and to journal. And for all of us here in the room, when we walk out, we will receive a hard copy of this. But at the same time, especially for those of you who are joining us via stream, you can also access this on our website or you can go to the app as well. And just, just to let all of us know, we can also get it via audio as well. There's an audio version available. So if you're getting ready in the morning, if you're driving, whatever works for you, you can also take part in this. And so we'd love for every single person as we journey towards the cross for us to really dive deep and for us as a community to really be able to journey together through what is going to be happening in about a month. And so we're going to be jumping into the story today. 
And as was alluded to, we're gonna be looking at a story that happened in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus, it was late at night, just to sort of paint the picture here. It was late at night and Jesus had been praying for some time up to this point. Enough time for his disciples to have fallen asleep on three separate occasions. And just by a quick show of hands, how many of you have ever fallen asleep while praying? Anyone? Okay, on probably most of us, if not all of us, who have ever prayed before. Let me ask you another question. How many of you have, fought, how many of you have fallen asleep while praying with other people? Anybody? Okay, just like two people who are willing to be honest. Okay. Thank you for those two people. Okay, it happened to me. I remember one of the first times because it's happened on multiple occasions to me. Um, but I remember the very first time it happened, I was at this small prayer gathering and it was really early in the morning and I didn't get much sleep. And so I am there trying to pray and I sort of nod off. And the next thing I know, I awake to somebody asking me, Andrew, can you please pray for that? And I had no idea what I was supposed to pray for. No clue. But I'm not going to admit that. I'm not going to admit, oh, I'm sorry, I fell asleep. I have no idea what to pray for. And so I just started praying for world events that were happening. The war over here, hunger over here. I remember this moment vividly. But what I was supposed to pray for was the guy beside me who was deeply struggling with this issue in his life. And so as you can imagine, everyone's looking at me. Everyone just sort of opens their eyes in the middle of the prayer and clearly they're looking at me thinking, he clearly does not know anything. He probably fell asleep. And so that was what happened to me. I fell asleep. And so many of you have fallen asleep as well. And so we understand the disciples, it was late at night and they had nodded off three times. But Jesus understanding what was coming. He chose to prepare himself by connecting with his father through prayer. And then it began. And this is what Matthew tells us happened in his gospel. It says, while he, meaning Jesus, was still speaking, Judas, one of the 12 disciples, arrived. And with him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer, meaning Judas, had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. And Jesus replied, Do what you came for, friend. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. And with that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword. And we know in a different account that this disciple was Peter. Peter drew it out and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? In that hour, Jesus said to the crowd, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching and you didn't arrest me. But this has all taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. And so what we see is that in the garden, Jesus comes face to face with his betrayer, one of the 12 disciples named Judas. And imagine being Jesus. This is a guy that he had spent nearly every waking moment with for the past three years, investing in him, mentoring him, teaching him, loving and leading him, showing him how to live the life that he had been created to live. And this guy does a 180 and stabs Jesus in the back. And if you were Jesus, how would you have responded? And probably for some of us, we've experienced that in our lives, that we've mentored someone, invested in them, loved and led them, and then they turn around and they betrayed us. And so if you were Jesus in this story, what would you have done? And my guess is, is that for some of us, we would have been like Peter. We would have drew our sword and we would have tried to fight. Others of us may have tried to flee like all the disciples eventually did. Or maybe you're like me and I, because I know I would have been frozen in place not knowing what to do. But what Jesus did was that he responded in a completely different way, unlike any other human being in history. And when we look closely, if we listen closely, we're able to hear echoes of Jesus' most well-known teaching called the Sermon on the Mount. And when we look at Jesus' response, we're able to see very clearly two Sermon on the Mount moments that brought to life what Jesus' kingdom and what his power was all about. And as we read in the story, 
some of the people that were with Jesus, and we know this from other accounts, was that there were some soldiers in that crowd who had come to arrest Jesus. And so these guys, they step forward to arrest Jesus. And what does Peter do? He draws his sword and he ends up cutting off the ear of the high priest's servant, a guy by the name of Malchus. And we have to imagine that once Peter drew his sword, that everyone else there who had a sword drew it as well. And there was this tense standoff. And that's the kingdom of the world. It's the sword. It's taking things or trying to take things by violence and force. And we see this happen in our world every single day. It's happening. It's one of the places that it's happened for the past month is in Ukraine. But Jesus, he responds in a completely different way, a totally different way. And this is the thing with Jesus that we have to remember is that when Jesus was on this earth, he was fully human, but at the same time, he was fully God, which meant that he had all the power in the universe at his fingertips. He could have done, he could have crushed these people. And as he said in the story, he said, I have 12, more than 12 legions of angels at my disposal. And a legion is about 6,000. And so if you do the math, we're talking about more than 72,000 angels that he could have called. They would have been there in a heartbeat and done whatever Jesus needed. But what does Jesus do? He chooses a different way. And he took his power and he took his strength and he chose to submit it and to surrender it to God. Saying, and in doing so, he said, I trust you. And this is the way of the kingdom. It's not about the sword. It's not about taking things by force and violence, but rather it's about the rope, which Jesus would later have his hands tied and be led away. It's about submission and surrender, not just to anyone, but ultimately to God. And when I looked at Jesus's response, I was reminded of Jesus's words earlier on in the Sermon on the Mount, where he said, blessed are the meek. He says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And when I was in seventh grade, that was the very, very first time I ever went horseback riding. I never had even seen a real life live horse up to that point. And so I remember as a 12 year old looking at the horse that I was supposed to ride and my head barely came up over the saddle. This thing was massive. And I remember my instructor telling me, hey, when a horse is just standing still, how you can get it to move forward and start walking is just sort of squeeze your legs and your horse will respond by moving forward. And then he told me, if you want it to start trotting, just give it a little tap on its side with your foot and it'll go. And if you want it to start galloping, give it two taps and it'll be gone. And I remember, this is the first time I'm ever riding a horse and we're off and it's so peaceful. The sun is shining. We're in the middle of a field and we're just walking. And I guess my, my foot just hit my, the horse in the wrong way and it just takes off, right? So we're in full gallop. I'm 12 years old, first time I've ever ridden a horse and I have no idea what I'm supposed to do. And it lasted for about three seconds, but truly it felt like an eternity. And my instructor, the guy who's leading the whole thing, thankfully he came and he settled things down. And the horse responded because I'm grateful that this was a horse that had been broken in. But if you know anything about horses, horses that haven't been broken in, horses that are wild, they're oftentimes kept in a corral and they shouldn't be ridden because they can injure a person. And these types of horses, they have to go through a process where trust is developed, slowly developed between the rider and the horse. And after they've gone through this process and after they've been broken in, the horse is still strong, it's still powerful, it can still jump really high, it can still run like the wind, but the difference is, is now the horse has chosen to submit its strength and power and has chosen to trust the rider. And so the rider can tell it to go wherever it wants and then the horse will do so without argument or without hesitation. It says yes to the one who cares for it, who provides for it, and who loves it. And this is a picture of what meekness is because meekness is not weakness because oftentimes the world views people who are meek as weak. They view them and they think of them as being cowards or pushovers or inflatable punching bags. But that is not what a picture of meekness is because what meekness is, is that it is controlled strength. It is somebody who refuses to use the strength, the power, the influence that God has given them for their own gain, to advance their own agenda, to build up their own kingdom, but rather they choose to use these resources and they choose to submit them and surrender them to God, saying, I trust you. 
And in Jesus' 33 years on this earth, this is what we see that he did over and over and over again. And we see it in the Garden of Gethsemane when he had all the power in the universe at his fingertips and he could have done whatever he wanted. He chose to submit. He chose to surrender to the will of God. And he said over and over again through his actions, yet not what I will, but what you will. And this is the thing that I believe that Jesus understood so well. He knew that in doing this, in choosing meekness, that it would benefit you and me and the rest of humanity. And so he makes this choice. Because Jesus' meekness in that moment, which was a defining characteristic of his kingdom, was rooted in the greatest power that was available to us, which is love. And so this is Jesus' invitation to us and his challenge to us. And that he says, as I have shown you what it means to live this way, I want you to do the same. And so the question is, is that with the strength, the power, the influence that we have been given, and for every single one of us, whether we're here in the room or whether we're watching on stream, we all have a measure of strength and power and influence, whether it's with our family or our friends, with, our, with the people at work in our neighborhoods, wherever it is in this community, we all have it. But the question is, what will we actually use it for? Will we use it to advance our own agenda, to build up our own kingdom, Use it for ourselves so that we could live a comfortable, more easier life? Or will we use it for something that is so much greater than our lives to impact this world and to create greater beauty and to create something that will last well beyond us? And Jesus says, choose meekness that is rooted in love as I have shown you do the same. And he says, this is the way of the kingdom of God. And for so many of you. I have seen you do this. I've seen you do this with your finances and that you have taken the resources that God has given you and submitted them to him. And the generosity challenge that I was mentioning earlier for so many people in this community, you have said yes to taking that step. And also you have chosen to live like this for so long. And that's the reason why we as a community together are able to impact so many lives, not just locally, but globally as well. And so one of the things that we want to do right now is we do want to receive our offering for today. And so if you come prepared to give, great. But these are the different ways that we can give. And the first is by texting the word Kensington to 77977. We can also give via the app. We can also give via the website, which is how my wife Robin and I give every month. We can also send a check-in to our physical location right here at our Troy campus. And the last is, for those of us here in the room, we also have offering boxes at every entrance and every exit. And we can place something in there on our way in or on our way out. But I want to say thank you. Thank you for living in an open-handed way. And so when we jump back into the story, this is what we see. Because in addition to meekness, the other Sermon on the Mount moment, which brings to life what Jesus' kingdom and what his power was all about, is seen in his interaction with two people. And the first is Judas, the disciple who betrayed Jesus. And this guy is a piece of work because he shows up leading this crowd of people, which includes soldiers, and he has the guts to go up to Jesus and he leans in. He gets so close to Jesus that he leans in and he gives him a kiss on the cheek. And if I was Jesus and Judas leaned in to do that, I would have taken his face, I would have grabbed his face and pushed him away, right? And you probably would have done the same too. But not only does Jesus let him kiss him on the cheek and get him that, get that close, but you know what Jesus also says to him? He says to Judas, do what you came for, friend. He calls him friend, and that wasn't even sarcastic. And if I was Jesus, I would have called Judas a lot of things, but probably not that. And also remember Malchus, the guy whose ear Peter cut off? After that happened, this guy is probably writhing in pain. And I've never had my ear cut off. Maybe some of you have, right? I have no idea how it feels, but I would imagine it's pretty painful. And this guy's rolling around on the ground. He's probably in a lot of discomfort. And if I was Jesus, I would have thought, you know what? Too bad, so sad. You got what you deserve, buddy. Because this guy was part of the, of the group of people who had come to take Jesus away to be killed. But again, Jesus responds in a completely different way because he was a different kind of king who came to establish a different kind of kingdom. And Jesus, what he does in that moment is that he stoops down and he touches this man's ear and he heals him and he restores him. He didn't have to do that. He could have just walked away. He didn't have to care about this guy. But yet he chooses compassion 
He chooses mercy and he chooses love. And in that moment, what I believe that Jesus was doing was that he was living out what he had told his followers to do earlier because he had spoken to them these words. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And this was the thing. The Jews back in Jesus' day, how they understood that word neighbor was that they believed that neighbor represented their fellow Jews. And so what they believed was, yes, we have to love people who are like us. But you know that half-breed Samaritan over there? We don't have to care about them. That Roman officer who's occupying us and making our lives miserable don't have to care about that person either. And this is what they believed was required of them. But this is the thing, and we all know this, is that it's not hard to love people who are like us. It's not hard to love people who love us. Even followers, even people who aren't followers of Jesus can do this without breaking a sweat. Nobody needs the power of God to do that. That is easy. But what is hard is to love people who disagree with us, to love people who we don't understand, love to love people who get on our very last nerve, to love people who have wounded us deeply. And for the Jews, for the longest time, they thought they didn't have to care about these people, that they didn't have to love in this way. And so Jesus' teaching here, it was absolutely revolutionary because he redefines for the Jews the term neighbor, that it didn't mean just some people, but every person. And he says, I want you to love these people. Very, very different. And so the question is, how in the world are we supposed to do this? Because we probably all tried to love that person who we would consider to be our enemy. And it is not easy. And Jesus' answer in this passage is very, very simple. It's not a platitude, but he actually tells us that if you actually want to move towards doing this, the answer is simple, pray. And I remember back in college, I had a friend named Diane, and she couldn't stand her boss, couldn't stand the guy. She thought he was so incredibly arrogant, couldn't stand the sight of him, and I would even say that she hated him. And she tried everything that she could possibly think of to try to fix this relationship and nothing had worked. And so she was at the end of her rope. And so she said, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna try to actually do this and I'm going to commit to praying for this guy for an extended period of time. Not pray that he gets fired, but actually pray that God's best would happen in his life. And she said that when she started, it was so hard because this is the last thing that she wanted to do. And to even get the words out of her mouth, she said for the first few days was really, really hard. But as she prayed for him, day after day after day, sometimes even multiple times a day, she said something truly supernatural happened in her and that her heart slowly began to change. And then it began, and then that impacted the way that she saw him. And then that impacted the way that she treated him. And this guy, actually, over a period of time, he began to notice, her boss began to notice a change in their interactions. And it softened him and it transformed their relationship. And I was a college student at the time and I was trying to figure out if this whole Jesus thing was even real and how it was relevant to my life. But as a young college student trying to figure this all out, this spoke so powerfully to me because for the very first time that I can remember in my life, I realized that these words of Jesus weren't just simply words on a page, but if I actually chose to live them out, it could impact not only my life, but also the lives of the people around us. And so I tried it during a season where I just absolutely was struggling with hatred and unforgiveness towards this guy who bullied me in high school. I absolutely hated this guy. I committed to praying for him when I couldn't stand a neighbor of mine years ago, got on my every last nerve, I committed to praying for this person. And every single time I have chosen to do this, God has changed my heart in some way towards this person. And so let me ask you, who is this person for you? Who is someone, and it probably doesn't take a lot of time. You probably know who this person is right now. 
But who is that person that you avoid at all costs? Who is that person that you cannot stand? Who is that person who has wounded you so deeply that you have hatred and unforgiveness towards them? And the challenge that Jesus gives us, and I dare you to try this every day for the next 30 days and see what happens. I dare you to pray for this person every day, even multiple times a day, if that's what it takes, and see what God, God does at the end of it. Because what he tells us to do and what he shows us in the garden is that he tells us, I don't want you to just simply tolerate your enemies. I don't want you to just even like them. But as I have loved you, I want you to love these people in the same way. Because this is the kingdom of God. And from 2011 to 2017, Google used to be, they occupied the number one spot on Fortune's list of the 100 best companies to work for. And Google's culture used to be absolutely legendary, so legendary that they made a movie about it back in 2013 with Owen Wilson and Vince Vaughn. And I don't know if they still do this now, but they used to give some amazing, amazing perks to their employees. I wish I had worked at Google, right? And one of the things that they did, and I think they still do this now, is they give all of their employees their meals for free. I was like, that's extraordinary. I would, just for that, I would work at Google. But in addition to this, I actually did some research years ago, but what they also did was that for a U.S. Google employee, if they passed away, their spouse would receive 50% of their salary for the next 10 years, if you can imagine that. Imagine working for a company like that. They also allowed their employees to take 20% of their work week and use it for other projects, passion projects, which is how Gmail got started. And they would also, they also had opportunities for mentorship, for team building. And they had something called Google O-Meter, where every person in the company was given a voice. And according to a man by the name of Laszlo Bach, who years ago used to be Google's chief people officer, this is the reason why Google did this. And he said this, it's not because it's important to the business, but simply because it's the right thing to do. Because when it comes down to it, it's better to work for a company who cares about you than a company who doesn't. And from a company standpoint, that makes it better to care than not to care. And one of the things that Google did so well that they were known for is that they loved their employees. And so they became known as the happiest company in America. Their distinguishing mark was that they loved one another. And Jesus tells us in the scriptures, I want, as my followers, I want that to be your distinguishing mark as well. Not to just give perks, but I want you to truly love one another. I want the world to know that about you. And he actually says this in the Gospel of John because he was talking to his followers and he says, a new command I give you, love one another. And then he tells us the measure to which he wants us to love one another. And he says, as I have loved you, and remember, Jesus was arrested, he was tortured, and he was nailed to a cross for us. That's how much he loved us. And he says, as I have loved you, now I want you to love one another in this way. And then he tells us some more extraordinary words because he says that if you actually do this, if you choose to embark on this journey of loving the people around you in this way, then all the world will know that you are my followers if you love one another. He's saying our distinguishing mark will be love and it will ultimately transform the world. And so what we see in this story of Jesus' arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane is we see that what Jesus' kingdom was all about. We see that it's power and strength that's submitted to God, not used for our purpose, but rather for God's purpose. It's also loving, choosing to love our enemies. It's choosing to treat our betrayer as a friend and that this is the kingdom of God. It's not about the sword. It's not about force and violence and trying to take things with the things that we have, with the power that we have been given, but rather it's about submission and surrender, not to any person, but ultimately to God and saying, just as Jesus did, not my will, but yours be done. Because the greatest power that Jesus had was ultimately love. And his meekness, his love for his enemies, all of this 
is rooted in his love for humanity and his love for you and me. And he says, just as I have loved you and I have come, and this is a defining characteristic of my kingdom and I have shown you what this love is, I want you to also love one another because then these things, these, all these other things wouldn't happen. Ukraine wouldn't happen. 67-year-old Asian women wouldn't be attacked and punched more than 125 times in New York City. Injustices and hatred and all of that would not happen. And the kingdom of God is here. It has broken through. And if you are a follower of Jesus, it lives within you. And he says that when we love, the kingdom gets larger and larger and larger. And so what we're gonna do right now is we're gonna take in a song. And then after this song, we're actually going to be taking communion together. And we're gonna remember the greatest act of love in human history. And so for those of you who are watching via stream, if you don't have a piece of bread or you don't have any juice, now is a great time to go to the kitchen and to grab one. And this song that we're gonna really listen to, it speaks to the fact that when we were enemies of Jesus, when we did not deserve it, he still came for us and he still loved us. And it's a reminder that we should do the same. So let's listen to this song together. I've been strong and I've been broken within a moment. I've been faithful and I've been reckless at every bend. I've held everything together and watched it shatter. I've stood tall and I have crumbled in the same grace. I have wrestled and I have trembled towards surrender Since my heart adrift and drifted home again Plundered blessing till I've been desperate to find redemption But every time I turn around, Lord, you're still there
don't deserve this kind of love But somehow This kind of love is who you are It's a grace I could never add up To be somebody you still want But somehow You love me as you find me So we take a moment today to remember the greatest act of love in human history. And as we just sang in this song, it was an act that we, none of us deserved. That when we were enemies, that Christ loved us and he came for us. And so for all of us here in the room, you should have received something like this. And if you sort of peel off the first layer, it'll expose the cracker that is underneath. And what this represents is that it represents the body of Jesus that was broken for us on the cross. And so let's take a knee together. And then when we peel back the second layer, we find the juice. And the juice represents the blood of Jesus that was shed for you and me on the cross. Take and drink. Jesus, we thank you we thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for what you did for us. That when we were a person who didn't deserve your mercy, Lord, that we were just like Judas, just like Malchus, God, just like every other person, God, when we were your enemy, thank you for coming for us. And Lord, as you have loved us in this extraordinary way, you also call us to love the people around us this characteristic that defines your kingdom and has the power to transform lives. Lord, I pray that these people that you brought to mind today, these people, Lord, that we have such a difficult time loving, show us, Lord, the step forward that you want us to take in really loving them as you have loved us. God, give us the courage, give us the strength. 
Also give us the opportunity to do this as your people, that our distinguishing mark would be love as your followers. We thank you, Lord, and we pray these things in your name. Amen. And so what we're going to do is we're going to sing one final song, and it really is an exclamation mark to to the day. And so I want to invite you, whether you're here in the room or joining us via stream, I want to invite you to stand up and let's sing this out together. So in light of everything that we've heard today, what we've experienced with God, let's just pour this out, this truth, the never-ending love of God. Let's celebrate that together. Let's sing together. Before I spoke a word, you were singing over me. You have been so, so good to me. Took a breath, you breathed your life in me. Lord, you have been so, so kind to me.
A great song to close with. And as we close today, just two quick reminders. If anyone would like to receive prayer, someone to pray with them or for them, our prayer team will be down front. Also, want to invite you to drop by the hub if you have any questions about who we are as a community or if you want to take the next step and learn more. But thanks so much for being here. Thanks so much for joining us via stream. Have a great rest of your Sunday, everyone. You've been listening to the Kensington Church Podcast. If you've enjoyed this recording, check back weekly for new content. You can find Kensington on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and of course, at kensingtonchurch.org.